Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Podcast. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Uh, I'm joined today by Bradley Gerrard, news editor. How are you doing, Bradley? I'm very good, thank you, John. Yeah, you've been away, haven't you? Yep, had a little bit of holiday, but yeah, back, back at it now. Back in the hot seat. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Liberto, how are you doing, Daniel? Very good, thanks, John. Excellent. And uh, we'll be talking about your sex focus uh, today. And over the control room, uh, Graham Davis. How are you, Graham? Very well, John. Good. Good. Okay, so uh, this week's issue is mainly about investment trusts, and uh, we won't be talking about them on this podcast because uh, that discussion will be reserved for the Personal Finance Podcast, which will be recorded uh, tomorrow morning. Um, But plenty going on elsewhere in the magazine anyway. Um, Bradley, let's start with the news. What's going on? Yes, the news. Um, I guess a good place to start is the uh, news spotlight piece on China, which I actually uh, wrote. Um, China's obviously very um, important for the global economy, but the um, the effects of it rebalancing have been felt in the UK this week with the closure of um, three um, steel uh, factories, basically, in the northeast and also in Scotland. Um, so uh, this, the piece just kind of looks at the potential validity of Chinese GDP data because it's always questioned. And um, it came in at 6.9% for the third quarter, which was marginally below expectations. But people can't decide whether it's too positive or too negative. But I think more of the people that I spoke to thought that actually a more accurate sort of rate of GDP is probably about between 3 and 5%. Okay, but I mean, that's still a pretty pretty rapid lick for a very large economy like China. So yeah, I mean, why, should we, I mean, why should we care about the, the difference between 7 and 5%? Well, I guess we need to care because um, it will affect the amount of, at the moment, commodities that China buys, which is obviously that's what where the impact's been felt here on UK shores with the within the commodities sector. You've had Tata Steel, you know, closing things, and um, the Rescar plant, which is owned by a Thai company whose name I'm not going to try and say. Um, it's uh, Sahaviria Steel Industries. Very good. They closed their Rescar plant. Um, earlier this year so that has had an impact directly on uk listed stocks and these are being closed because they're simply uneconomic I presume. yeah basically because the the demand um or china's demand for things like steel iron ore has um reduced um there's a glut of supply and um that's created very very low prices so you have an issue where um well the uk has a particular issue given that the pound's very strong as well so even though even if there are buyers of steel out there, they're unlikely to buy it from the UK because the pound's so strong. Well, I'm a buyer of steel. I've got to get two great big steel girders for my loft conversion. Wow. So uh, good news, good news for me. Very good news for you. Absolutely. Prices are low. But not, not so good news, for, obviously, for the people who work for these these steel mills. And I, I presume there's been the usual political uproar. Uh, well, yeah, I, mean, I think what's been interesting about this, actually, is that there hasn't been much political support, actually. It's kind of like, yeah, these things are going to close and... Mm. Um, Sorry about that. Whereas, obviously, uh, you know, some people I've seen a few comments in the press that you know it wasn't in that long ago that the the London centric banking sector was bailed out to the tune of billions and billions of pounds. Yet, some help for the British steel industry seems to be not forthcoming from the government. So, there's a bit of um, uproar about that. And um, I suppose as a stocks that you know could be impacted are things like Rio Tinto, BHP Billiton, and um, also more directly a bit smaller companies, but um, Hargreaves Services that was actually impacted uh, by the Redcar plant closure. So It's a supplier of coking coal, presumably. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Right. Um, so just there are, there, there are if, if um, any of our listeners, readers have exposure to the commodity sectors, even if it's relative, if they think it's slightly indirect, it's probably worth them having a look at the stocks that they own and how they've been um, impacted by these recent closures. And um, China's obviously 
um, desire to move towards a consumption-led economy. Yeah, and, so, and you mentioned in the piece Burberry and Unilever, who, who are obviously potentially exposed to the shift from the infrastructure-led investment to a, a more consumer-driven economy. But yep. I mean, it hasn't been a happy time for Burberry this week. No, of course, of course. But I suppose the, the long-term trend, I mean, one, one person that um, I've quoted in the piece, a chap called Andy Rothman from uh, Matthews Asia, he cites a figure that um, basically... Um, Real capita disposable income rose 7.7% in the year to the end of September. In the past decade, it's risen 137%. So, yes, Burberry might be having a tough time at the moment, but the I guess the underlying argument of do the Chinese have money to spend, it looks like yes, they do. So, so Unilever had uh, something to say this week, I think. Yeah, um, they had a trading update, if I remember rightly. And um, again, the, their exposure to China is not massive. From from memory, it's about 4%, I think, having spoken to analysts. Um, but that exposure is growing. Um, it's tapping into the whole e-commerce thing, um, which is a, a booming industry in, in China. Um, so, yeah, China's a, a, a small part of Unilever at the moment, but growing. I mean, the same as like Reckitt Benkiser as well, which also had a good update this week. Mm. Um Again, China forms a small part of their of where they sell to, but it's growing, and so, the so trend is that it will continue to grow. So both of those companies put out. I mean, they were pretty strong, strong figures. They, they had very good this figures week. this week. Um, yeah. I mean, what what has been? I mean, if it's not China, what has been driving the strong performance at Unilever and at Reckitt? I mean, in Reckitt especially was developing markets. I mean, I think the um, the, the sales rose uh, just over ten percent in developing markets. Um, the 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 ratio i suppose of how much they make in developing versus developed is still quite um weighted towards developed definitely but um the the rise in the growth of the developing market sort of consumer for these types of companies has been strong and um i guess as you know the we've heard it before but the growing middle classes in countries like china other countries in asia south america as they become they have more disposable income, become more middle class, um, in inverted commas. They want sort of to buy better brands of things, and these large, you know, multinational companies specialise in making very well-known global brands, um, mm. in, like areas like cleaning, home care, and personal health, that sort of thing. Indeed, it makes sense. I actually heard a story uh, from uh, from a Chinese national recently that said that you know they don't really like buying Chinese goods because they don't necessarily trust them, and actually the international brands. Yeah. Um, are what they want. I guess that makes sense. I mean, it, it's interesting. I suppose that it's interesting there's that view in China. I mean, that's probably a, a very Western view, actually, because we would think that, oh, yeah, there's a lot more sort of um, safety barriers potentially yeah. or hurdles companies have to jump to sell products. Whereas in China, the Western view might be that's probably not the case. But if that's the view within China, then obviously that's a positive for for global companies based outside China. Absolutely. Um, expensive shares, though, both Reckitt and Unilever. They, yeah, they are. But I suppose you um, you, you pay for what you get and um, both pay a safe dividend. I mean, maybe it's not the most punchiest, but it's it's you know, regularly repeated. So yeah. that could be an argument for the, the price. Well, it's interesting to see that neither has really been derailed by... The, the turmoil that we've seen yeah. in sort of emerging market markets. Well, recently. exactly. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think it was uh, Unilever that has about 8% exposure to Brazil, um, which is in terrible, yeah. <laughs> terrible yeah. state at the moment in terms of an economy. Well, I think um, I've read somewhere the other day the currency is halved in value against the, yeah. over the last two years. And it's, it's you know, unemployment soaring. Um, it's a commodity exporter, which is not good at the moment. Um, yeah, Brazil's got a lot of problems, so to have any exposure to Brazil is arguably bad, but even so, 
these big these big sort of London listed consumer staple type companies have yeah been performing okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, we we've all. We we don't have them on a buy at the moment. They're, no. I think they're holds though. But yeah, know. I mean because of like you mentioned that the price is, I suppose for us to move them to if we say buy, that suggests if one was not in them, it would be a good time to buy them now, which is maybe not the case. It's more maybe the case that if you're in them, you should certainly keep hold of them. But if you want to buy them, maybe now is not the best entry point. Wait for the dips. Yeah. Talking of dips, um, let's let's quickly uh, segue to the results section because uh, a company you did upgrade this week was Whitbread. Yeah. So change of management going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Andy but Harrison. The shares, have, the shares have come off a bit recently. They have come off a bit, yeah. I mean, um, it's Andy Harrison's last set of results. He actually hands over the reins to Alison Britton um, in December, I think. She has already been hired and she is at the company. But there's a, a period of um, transition. Um, I, I've I've only been at Investors Chronicle a relatively short time, but um, from having read previous pieces on uh, Whitbread, we have constantly said hold perennial performer buy on the dips, hmm. and now seems like a bit of a dip. It's not a stark dip, I'll admit that, but it is a dip. And given the fact that. Um, it's got very strong um, expansion plans for Premier Inn, which is the hotel chain it owns. Um, it has an advantage over competitors because it owns a lot of its properties rather than leases them. So actually, rather than having to maybe lease a whole new building or buy a whole new building, it can just extend buildings. Mm. So its expansion plan is a bit more achievable, perhaps, than some of its competitors. Um, and Costa Coffee is the coffee chain it owns. I mean, I looked at a chart of coffee prices the other day and coffee, the commodity, is going down. But I don't think Costa's selling its coffee any cheaper. So margins are certainly going in the right direction there. So it just seems like a good point to... You know, there'll be, in my view, there's room for some uptick in the price. And also, if Alison Britton, once she speaks and takes control and, you know, says something, no doubt, probably positive, then I suspect people might react to that. Mm, absolutely. It seems as you mentioned coffee, because uh, I, I, I noticed that point. And uh, I, I do remember about, it's probably about six months ago, uh, the canteen put their coffee prices up because of price increases. Yeah. Not, not the best thing to say when you're working in a, <laughs> when you're supplying to a business involved in the financial analysis uh, well, exactly, industry yeah, because yeah. we all knew that coffee prices were going down. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's like distribution costs or something arose, but it certainly wasn't coffee. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, good one. And if it was, they're buying from the wrong people. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, um, so what else we got in the news section? Um, yeah, I mean, we had um, a good piece from um, our financials correspondent, Ian Smith. Um, banks. Banks. Yeah, it yeah. seems to have got away with it. Again, I suppose you could argue that this is the result of um, a resounding Tory victory in the uh, election. Um, ever since the election, things seem to be have getting a bit easier for the banks. I mean, we've had uh, Martin Wheatley kind of, oh, okay, maybe this is speculation, but politely shown the door probably um, for not being the right person, I think is what Osborne said today, actually. Um, a couple of stories I saw. Mike Wheatley being the former chief of the FCA. He was, yeah. So he was um, quite, I think it's fair to say he did quite a lot in his relatively short tenure and there was a bit of change going on. But, you know, obviously somebody above him didn't think that that was the best thing. Who's above him? George Osborne. Yeah, <laughs> of course. George Osborne's at the top, above everyone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a conservative victory, I suppose, is good for, you know, potentially good for businesses anyway, but the financial sector seems to be doing very well subsequent to the conservative election. Yep. Um, yeah, Martin Wheatley being one example, possibly this um, slightly lighter than 
the potential uh, ring fence, which Ian talks about in his piece. You had the um, bank levy kind of reduced in the emergency budget. So the the kind of um, the support for banks is becoming a bit a bit less opaque and a bit more obvious. But I mean, it's good timing, given uh, we've got uh, Lloyd's share sale to the public coming, well, coming yeah, up. In well, the that's months it. Ahead. You've got Lloyd's share sale. You've got them returning to the dividend roster. You know that. It just seems that there is support for banking shares from the government at the moment. And obviously, as you said, it's in their interest for that to be the case if they're going to start selling some noise shares. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, the, the piece um, Ian's uh, gone into a bit more depth than it's probably worth talking about here. But um, effectively, the rules, which um, I suppose, yeah, well, ring fence is the best word. Um, ring fence, the retail and investment banks um, have been less uh, draconian than, than was feared. So... Um, yeah, Barclays and RBS both kind of uh, shares both rallied after the Prudential Regulatory Authority, Regulation Authority, I beg your pardon, put their report out. So good. Got one to buy. Um, I, I know that Lloyd's, buy, Lloyd's is recently on a buy. Ian recently yeah. tipped that. Barclays, sure. I think, is actually one of the top tips of ours. RBS, I must admit, I think is on a hold. Okay, we'll see. We will. Um, cut of IPOs or an IPO in the offing, soft cat, which I'd never heard of. What's going on here? What's yeah. this? Um, what is this? It's a great question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, our technology reporter, Theron. Um, I mean, the, the 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 listing was well covered. I suppose it's um it's interesting for our readers because the size of it is such a big company. Maybe there are questions about you know an IPO of a tech company at this stage in the cycle. Um, maybe it suggests top of the market type behaviour, but. Um, it seems to um, have been going quite a long time. It's got a good management team, and it effectively kind of seems to sell um, sell IT software to companies. Um, is the most simple way of. I'm none the wiser. <laughs> no, I know, nor me, if I'm honest. But they basically sell, um, yeah, software to, to other businesses. Seem to be doing quite well out of it. It's and a reseller. Yeah, I know, I know. It's it's That's quite not a sexy business. No, it's not. And um this is why I, I wonder whether it is kind of top of the top of the market stuff. It'll be very interesting to see how this IPO fares. I mean, Theron has um adopted our um I think sensible, cautious stance that we're we're gonna wait and see what goes on here because um I mean IPOs obviously always have a tendency to, you know, fly off fly out of the gate at the start and mm. then they flag quite soon after. I think we're gonna, yeah, you know, we're gonna hold our hands up and say we can't figure out what this company is gonna do after IPO. So let's kind of wait. Okay, we'll come back to that one then. One th- one IPO that has flown out the gate, of course, is Ferrari, which we mentioned last week. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, amazing. Really good start there over in uh, in New York. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I think it's worth almost well, based on the the numbers, um, worth almost ten billion euros. I think it was. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I think you know, the FT does some good analysis on this and it's just kind of again the question is is this just you know it, that valuation is just so high i mean mm. i mean for a luxury car company as well i mean yes i think they were trying to hit something like a hundred thousand car output or something and uh, the potential to raise prices for some of the more sort of sought after cars but i mean it seems a remarkable price for i know luxury cars can arguably maybe they have more power to raise their prices but they're the amount they produce is kind of, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, it's not a pricing thing. It's who's going to buy them. And, you know, what mm. we do know is that, you know, who who buys Ferraris? Well, it's, uh, you know, Middle Eastern oil uh, wealth or, yeah. uh, you know, Chinese new Chinese wealth. And, yeah, we know that, that those those 
groups are either under pressure from a falling oil price or under pressure from a clampdown on uh, on um, conspicuous consumption. Yeah. So yeah, I I worry about that one. I, I as I said last week, I wouldn't be uh, no, rushing I mean, to buy shares in Ferrari at fifty two dollars each. It's no. um it's a the Ferrari Ferrari pricing for Ferrari shares. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Again, nice ticker though. Yeah, you like that race? race. Yeah, yeah, good. Like it. Let's see how quick it's. Uh, Cricket's race peters out, or mm. maybe it carries on very well. We'll mm. see. Yeah, okay. Um, what else have we going on? More generally, uh, seven days, what, what have we covered? Yeah, I, mean, I guess um, one kind of interesting thing on the subject of oil, since you mentioned that, um, it seems that the West and Iran are kind of starting to get on a little bit better. We're pretty much nearing a sort of conclusion of a nuclear accord, and if we do that, the sanctions on Iran will be lifted. Um, and the Iranian uh, energy minister um, told a conference um, this week that the FT reported on that it wants to regain its share of you know oil output. So the fact that the oil price is depressed partly because of oversupply that's not going to change anytime soon if Iran from about 1 million barrels a day is all it's allowed to produce now it wants to return to its um its uh, historic share of oil output which is much higher than that mm. well i guess a little bit more stability in iran but obviously lots of instability elsewhere in the region so yeah i suppose uh, an interesting i mean balancing act. stability in iran is a good thing though i suppose it's mm. been quite a long time since the western iran have had any sort of good relations so yeah so we're going to be looking at this in uh in a cover in a feature in a few weeks time because uh, it is a big issue yeah big issue absolutely incredibly complex so uh yeah it's going to take take more than a couple of sentences in uh, seven days to it will to yeah. get to grips with that one um yeah i mean it, i know it's a couple of things on uh renewable energy and climate change uh seems to be some momentum building there yeah i mean barack obama i suppose um in his sort of um in the autumn of his presidency, I suppose, nearing the winter, he's getting towards the end of it, um, he's managed to convince um, a large number of very major global companies. There's 68 companies joined an original 13 to kind of club together and tackle, to a degree, climate change. Mm. I, I think the way in which they would, the companies that have signed up would do this is to kind of look at their business practices. You know, are there ways in which they can reduce the emissions that they create via the way in which they operate um so i mean you know small 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 step arguably well, it was a big step in getting companies to sign up to that thing but in what it actually will achieve maybe is a small step but i suppose it's it's a good thing and um, it goes counter to the other thing you're obviously referencing in seven days section is the fact that um the uk's cuts to renewable subsidies has been heavily criticized by um a top un environment scientist called jacqueline mcglade um she was kind of I looked at the various um interviews that she gave to different media and effectively as she was kind of saying across the world we're seeing really positive steps towards, you know, tackling climate change and supporting renewable energy. Um but the UK seems to have done a, a bit of an about turn on that. Because mm. we were very good in the renewables um space. We were very proactive, very supportive of it. But the um cut of the feed in tariffs has um well it's directly hit some companies that we cover. Um but it's also just um taken the shine off our reputation among the i suppose the global um climate you know cognoscenti yeah well, i mean needs must i guess because we're still in national cost-cutting mode which i think you mentioned yeah as well you're right i mean i guess i guess when you're trying to cut the amount of debt a country has you know you you, you start off with the easiest targets and i guess renewable energy is a fairly easy target mm. i mean it's not such a huge industry that it has a massive lobby in the uk um yeah it's an easy thing to get rid of i suppose and yeah i mean it's basically the um 
The level of debt did fall in um, September, according to ONS data, but at 46.1 billion, it is still above the pre-crisis levels. So George Osborne's um, mantra of there's still more to do is um, you know, firm and in place. I mean, he's happy that things are going in the right direction, but our borrowing still above pre-crisis levels. Yeah, I mean, to talking of... Uh... You know, companies signing up to this this you know accord to try and reduce their their emissions. Um, we've got results from W H Smith this week, and now this is a really interesting company. I, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it. Um, w H Smith is you know in the in a business that you would think was on its last legs, but this is a company that keeps churning out profit growth. And one of the ways it does that is uh, is cost cutting, of course. Um, and one of the ways it cuts cost is to work out ways that it can reduce its energy consumption, for example. Mm. So, you know, they've done things like, you know, working out a more efficient refrigeration or uh, more efficient lighting. And, you know, there is a financial benefit from companies to look at this. And I think WH Smith is a, is a great example of that. Yeah. And actually, just, I mean, think about last night, there's a new advert, um, IKEA or IKEA, if you say it properly, I think, have got out. And that's is all that the, how you say it? That's how the advert says it. Yeah, IKEA. <laughs> IKEA? Yeah. All right. Learn something new every day. But anyway, they're selling all of their light bulbs, uh, um, you know, um, energy efficient light bulbs now. Yeah. Small thing, but you can run an ad campaign off of it and perhaps maybe customers will go there over another retailer because of that reason yeah, so. I mean, just think how much power that a store uses an Ikea well, warehouse yeah. I mean a lot of, a lot of uh, power gets spent there you know yeah so, absolutely yeah, work cooking out all those meatballs you know, takes all, all those energy. meatballs yeah <laughs> absolutely they, they, they ruin their vegetarian hot dogs which uh, upset me we won't go back there anymore <laughs> <laughs> the only reason we used to go um, okay that's uh, that's probably it for the news. I think so. I think that's uh, quite a lot of ground covered. Let's talk about your sector focus, Dan, um, because it's, uh, well, again, it's sort of emissions related. Yeah. Uh, VW. Um, now, we have alluded on this podcast a couple of times to the fact that this may have some implications for the UK engineering sector, uh, who's obviously heavily involved in the car industry. Um, but you were on holiday, so uh, right. we, we didn't actually have any of the meat. Now, uh, What's happening then? So what are the repercussions for, for, for the UK engineers? Well, obviously, when such a big scandal happens as this, you know, such a quality company defrauds the, uh, the public, then... Um, Don't the mean reaction... to worse, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> the reaction is going to be, um, you know, catastrophic, let's yes. say. And, and the whole of the industry is now kind of under scrutiny. And um, we've kind of identified some of the UK companies that have been particularly impacted by this. Um, so, first of all, there was uh, a mention of uh, Carclo, uh, which is um, behind LED lighting. And um, they issued a trading um, update um, not too long ago. Um, it's actually um, featuring the tip update of this magazine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I wonder where it was. And so basically, you know, business is, is kind of going well. But there was a slight mention that um, the fact that uh, VW now, uh, its new flagship car is going to be battery powered, could result in um, deferred revenues um, for its LED lighting technology. So, so basically, there's some. It's got some big contracts in place. Um, mm. They're perhaps not going to be delivered when when they expected yeah. them to. There's no kind of indication of any cancellation. It was more a case of it maybe being deferred. But the shares must have got hit though, anyway. Badly, I, I think they were down 14 percent on that. Ouch. Ouch! Even though the rest of the you know the trading update was relatively uh, positive, and um, there's you know a lot of other companies that are kind of in the supply chain that have equally been um, hammered. But it, but it is. I mean. What we, we kind of suspected uh, might happen was was actually the UK engineers are pretty, pretty good and there's a lot of engineers who are, you know, on, on top of this this kind of car technology mm-hmm. uh, and the drive to get cars becoming more efficient, uh, you know, more, more environmentally friendly. So so 
perhaps whilst we're seeing deferrals now, this potentially is a good long long term bet. Yeah, I, I think that's the kind of overall message we have here. Um, you kind of at the moment there's a lot of panic um, going on. Everyone's kind of doubting, like not only VW but the other kind of big players. Mm. You know, a lot of the other kind of key car manufacturers, the German you know powerhouses have kind of their reputation has come under scrutiny as well, and that's kind of created this situation where everyone seems to be kind of selling off shares in the whole sector. Um, but in reality, if if you look at the kind of long term themes. You know, if anything, the kind of there's indications that this kind of scandal is is likely to kind of make the legislation even tighter, and maybe even kind of put an end to the kind of diesel argument. Mm. Um, and overall, as we kind of push towards the reality of uh, electrical vehicles, for example, there's going to be a lot more supplier content, and that's going to be good for these companies in the supply chain. You would argue, but then Absolutely. obviously. You know, you could argue that some of them maybe will have to spend a lot of money investing in the newest technologies. But, you know, I've spoken to quite a few of these companies and they seem to, you know, they're, they're not stupid. They know the trends and, and what's going to eventually happen. And they're well positioned to uh, capitalize on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think Mark Robinson, who's who's writing something about electric cars at the moment, mentioned this morning that I think, uh, was it Toyota? Come out and yeah. said they want to phase out petrol cars by... Was it twenty forty five? I mean, it's it's not 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 long away. I mean, in in the scheme of you know this kind of technology. So so you know we are we we do seem to be heading towards a, an all electric future. And yeah, and if anything, this uh, this particular VW scandal has kind of made that you know even more of a priority. I think um, to kind of move away from kind of gasoline and and and, and diesel and move into kind of you know zero fuel emissions. Basically, looking at completely clean technology. Um, because you know, there's a lot of fears about about pollution levels, and also the fact that you know there's this legislation out, and obviously there's there are ways to kind of get around that, and that's also quite concerning. So it does definitely highlight that there may be a need to kind of move on really into this kind of future technology and, and really embrace that. And um, it will be interesting. You know, there's going to be a lot of de- developments um, over the years, and you know, it could be quite an exciting time um, yeah. for a lot of these companies. So have you have you had a look at who potentially stands to benefit over the longer term? Yeah, I mean, there's, um, for example, one of the companies that's um, that was impacted quite badly, um, GKN, um, because VW is actually one of its its biggest customers. Um, they've actually been making quite a few acquisitions to kind of branch into this kind of technology. Um, so they've kind of spotted that. Um, I spoke with um, the chief executive of Spectrus this morning. They're very much involved in the kind of R&D process. Uh, and their argument is that testing materials, it, it, that kind of demand is going to rise. Um, and then you have companies such as uh, Johnson Matty, for example. Um, their shares have come under fire from the kind of the, the amount of profits they were making from these catalytic converters that were used to basically reduce the pollution coming mm. out of the exhaust pipe. Um, now they've been profiting a lot from from diesel cars being very popular in um, in Europe, and as that declines, they've had, They've actually kind of got exposure to um, other areas such as um, hydrogen fuel cells. Okay. So that's you know just to show that like these companies are not kind of betting on everything. They kind of they 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 have very diverse op- operations and they're also looking at the future. Yeah, but, but the shares have come off in the oh, wake yeah. of the scandal quite quite sharply in, in a number of these companies. Yeah. Um, um, the other thing is a lot of these companies. I mean, to be fair, they've um, the car market was like the strongest market for a lot of them. They've kind of shares of. of taking a battering also because a lot of their um, other kind of trading markets have, have been struggling. So you, you've got the kind of oil and gas mm. for some. With Johnson Matty, you've got the platinum prices. So 
this was kind of a case of, you know, at least the auto market is kind of providing. And now that seems to be kind of under threat at the moment. I mean, I think GKN this morning, um, they, they issued a trading update saying that um, they expect um, the global um, automotive uh, market forecast to decline slightly in, in the kind of year ahead. Really? That's unusual. It's been, uh, been a after pretty much a story of uninterrupted growth for, uh, for a while now. And I guess you could perhaps also link that to the, uh, the China story as well. Um, but no, it would be interesting. But I think long term, you know, as I mentioned in the piece, I think investors could see this kind of this panic, this kind of sell off as a potential opportunity to maybe look into kind of buying long term kind of stakes in, in these companies that, you know, we expect to be at the kind of forefront of the you know driving a new technology. Mm. And, you know, I don't think cars are going to disappear anytime soon. I think, you know very important part of our everyday life so absolutely oh there, there could be massive disruption i think tim cook of apple came out this week and said that uh you know they expected a lot of technology driven disruption in in the car market mm. so well yeah you've also got the kind of competition maybe coming in from silicon valley and all mm. the kind of tech companies and um that's going to kind of you know raise the the competition a little bit but um oh, well, have you seen the have you seen the gigafactory the tesla gigafactory yeah um, it's just extraordinary it's the, one of the biggest things I've ever seen in the middle of a desert. But I mean, what are they? They're talking about half a million batteries, you know, yeah. a year coming out of there. And you know, that's got to be. You got to think that's going to force people to up their game throughout the rest of the industry. Well, yeah, times are changing. I mean, a lot of you talked about Toyota, but there's also a lot of other car manufacturers that are kind of developing kind of more kind of clean uh, models. Mm. Um, so it's definitely on the horizon. And um, you know, the suppliers they're also kind of adjusting and, and kind of you know adapting to these to these big changes that the the kind of consumers are now going to be demanding well i've wanted this for ages yeah. I've, I've wanted i said to myself but, i would never buy a new car until i can get an electric one uh really, but the technologist that didn't come quick enough unfortunately yeah well i don't know i think there's kind of a mixed uh, opinion about it. i think one of the fears at the moment is just how much they're going to cost to put together and if the consumer is going to be willing to kind of pay the extra for that um and not but i don't think they're particularly seen as being very sexy um, well, they're not because the, the the early electric cars were awful looking, mm. sort of awful looking things. But you know, Tesla's changed the perception of electric cars without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and the reality is that you know, an electric car should look no different from any other car that you buy. Um, and as we as we get scale in the market, then the, the price will come down too. You know, I think it's uh, I think it's inevitable, and it's good. And obviously, there's going to be a lot of opportunities out there for a whole host of companies because you're going to you're looking at the infrastructure as well. You know, all the kind of how you're going to recharge these these cars. You know, everything's going to have to a lot of changes going to have to be made to facilitate this. Mm. And also, you know, electric cars. I mean, how long is it going to take for that to become a reality? In in the kind of next 10, 15 years, there's going to be a lot of other technology that's going to kind of gradually be kind of coming in uh, until we get to that stage. Um, Absolutely. Good so, news for the dealers as well, I'd imagine, as the uh, as the years roll on. Um, yeah. You don't want too much perfect car development too soon or else you are. No, no, absolutely. And, you know, an electric car, I'd imagine it's kind of not something you can tinker with yourself. It's uh, no, it's back, back to the manufacturer. Take back to the garage uh, job, isn't it, that abs- one? Absolutely. No, I was, looking at, I was looking at Tesla's website because, you know, I covet, I covet a, a Model S. Um, and obviously I can't afford them. Um, because they, what do they cost about 90 grand, something like wow. that. So they're a lot of money. Um, they're very quick, very <laughs> quick, those mm. things. But uh, So I had a look at, you know, and you can charge them very quickly as well, the new technology. So I'd look, oh, yeah, there's a map of the uh, the chargers in the UK. And I think uh, the nearest one to me is about 
40 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> you can charge at home. <laughs> but, you know, when you're out and about, that's a problem. So, yeah, I think the infrastructure is... Uh, yeah, but we're, we're, we're going to be looking into this in the, in the upcoming future, so we are yeah. going to do a piece on that. Tonight. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. Um, is there anything else in the magazine that we ought to talk about? I mean, in the results section, Stephen's, Stephen's not around at the moment. Um, but some some old favourites in there. Booker's looking good, as uh, as usual. Booker, the uh, wholesaler. Yeah. Um, food wholesaler. Uh, a very good business that we've liked for a long time. Got it on a hold. Got it on a hold. <laughs> you give me, <laughs> a, 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 give me a scaling look, a scathing look there. This is, this is one of my favourites, my personal favourites. Well, you have to have it with Harriet. It's, it's not my responsibility. Um, but yeah, Harriet's obviously looked at the um, what she calls punchy 25 times forward earnings. Um, yeah. Therefore, exhibited yeah. a bit of caution. Yeah, um, I'm also cautious. Well, I can't argue with that one, I suppose. Uh, home retail profit warning, um, essentially. Yeah, Argos um, Argos didn't do very well. Home base, uh, the DIY chain that owns, did better. But the I think the, the killer blow, so to speak, was the fact that the company said that it was very uncertain about how it would perform in cr- at Christmas and also um, guided it would probably um, produce profits that were below the bottom end of the expected range so mm. um that didn't go down very well obviously with a market that consistently wants upgrades and strong performance um obviously it's great the company you know is being forthcoming with how it expects to perform um but yeah As it's supposed to well yes of course but um it you know yeah the shares came off strongly and the, the, the i think the, the christmas thing is really important actually because last year was this um sort of black friday mania where you know all the retailers are kind of getting everyone to shop for christmas early and everything and they're just not sure if that can be repeated the, the level of that so yeah well there was a lot of debate at the time as to whether black friday just cannibalized sales from uh from, yeah. from other days of the year yeah exactly. uh, when stuff wasn't actually being sold at a massive discount either so that's the thing yeah because black friday is all about discounts so that's um yes you get people in the in through the doors but they're not paying as much as they might have done if they come in a week before or whatever mm, and what were they, they were blaming uh kind of slowdown in gadgets sales electronics yeah which, partially uh, that which has um, been a boom for a number of years now. yeah it has i mean that 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 was one that was one aspect of i think the update this time and it was something they said previously um but yeah i think i think for me having had a a, a quick read of the results is that that christmas that christmas uncertainty that they can't kind of see how they're going to do at christmas is a bit of a worry for the market mm. game digital my old favorite game <laughs> digital um yeah, that's an ugly graph, uh, but the numbers we've got them on a buy. Theron's this is a brave call from Theron, I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm mistrustful of this, and maybe that's unfair because because I remember it as it was and not how it now is. Well, yeah, I mean, so. it's, it's obviously changing quite a bit. I mean, I think um, it, it's had a bit more support from uh, a few fund managers recently. I think you know it's kind of knocking its um, high street sort of estate into shape and getting rid of shops that aren't performing that well, and. Um, I guess becoming a bit more digital, as its uh, new name suggests. But mm. um, yeah, you're right. The share price graph doesn't look uh, too healthy at the moment. So yeah, it's a funny. I mean, it's a funny business now. Um, so I guess it does still sell computer games, but there's more events yeah. type stuff. So this is sort of live gaming. Yeah, exactly. Trend and um, as Theron points out, like exclusive products, launch parties, local tournaments, that sort of thing. So uh, the the business that the business of gaming is i guess becoming a, a wider thing than just selling computer consoles and computer games mm. um and i guess a key thing is having that um 
power, that sort of market presence to actually get a game first and sell it just through your stores first because obviously you know the, the popularity of some of these computer games is um is staggering so if you can get some exclusive rights on one for a while then that must be a, a good driver for the business and um, obviously theron sees that as a, a potential kicker mm, he likes the chunky forward dividend yield of seven and a half percent as he well does. that's a high dividend uh, for me that's sort of getting into danger territory i'm looking at it. i think that's, <laughs> that's a, it's a bit too attractive <laughs> Maybe. who knows who knows maybe i'll be proven wrong um maybe i'm just showing my age and uh <laughs> and accepting that gaming has has passed me by and uh, i don't understand it anymore. same same <laughs> okay um tip updates interesting sky sky looking good yeah again i mean you've got um a bit of pressure there for sky potentially because um Things like um, sports broadcasting is becoming increasingly diversified between who can you know, broadcast what. And um, I, I'm not the biggest football fan, I'll admit, but I think they lost the Champions League. They haven't got all of the Premier League now, so arguably they're facing a bit of a tough time. But actually, they've they've seen some good numbers in terms of um, people subscribing to their services. Although that does now include sort of like the whole package deal, so they're not just competing on TV now; they're competing on broadband against other people telephone deals that sort of thing so mm. um it's the battle i suppose of the the package providers or the the quad provider things like a new phrase of companies that are providing phone mobile internet and yeah. tv yeah um so it's interesting yes guys it's, it's done very well and we've got it on a buy um it's up uh 27 since our initial buy advice so it seems to be um going great guns still in spite of you know quite quite strong and stiff competition um in that sort of market where and also consumers are quite um, aware of the, all, all the deals going on and they're quite willing to switch when they can i think so the fat skies reported um you know increased customer numbers people spending a bit more it's it's quite quite um yeah remarkable i suppose actually it is remarkable it is remarkable there is so much choice out there now yeah there you is know, bt there are adverts Virgin, everywhere and netflix exactly. amazon yeah i mean it's just it's so much content the way in which you can watch content now is uh, so much different to how it was just five years ago even so yeah the fact that they're still you know they're more than standing still basically defying the odds yeah one may say yeah. defying the odds well done sky still on a buy there you go. Okay, so just to run you through what else we've got in the magazine, uh, the usual tips, uh, comment from Chris Dillo and Simon Thompson, who's uh, identified a new value pick in the defence equipment sector. Um, Mr. Bearbull and the trader, of course. Uh, the cover feature, Top Trusts, um, an absolutely uh, bumper uh, selection of investment trust ideas there. Uh, we're looking at uh, a number of global trusts, how to build an income portfolio with trusts. Uh, one of one of the most enduring and popular investments uh, among our readers and our staff, as I mentioned in the editorial. Um, and uh, yeah, that's about that. I won't be around next week, uh, but I will leave you in the capable hands of uh, our deputy company's editor, uh, Ian Smith. Um, I will be uh, writing an essay and doing some DIY. So uh, have a good week. Uh, I'm sure I will. And uh, don't forget to pick up the magazine, £4.50 in all good news agents. And uh, I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much.